Live from Queensland, Australia, it's... Speak away, bruv. A show where two brothers just shoot, shoot the, the breeze. breeze. My name's Bailey. And my name's Cooper. So let's speak away, y'all. Woohoo. Yeehaw. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, love is in the air. It is a special Valentine's Day edition of Speak Away, bruv. Yeehaw! We've got a very romantic yeehaw there from Cooper. Cooper, it's Valentine's Day. Yeehaw! We've got another yeehaw. He's got nothing to say yes, but yeehaws today. It deserves two yeehaws. Wow, okay. Um, so welcome to Valentine's Day, everybody. A holiday that... We are not celebrating because n- neither of us are in any form of long-term relationship. Yeah. But because we're doing a podcast and because it's releasing on Valentine's Day, we felt the need to center some of our segments today. And by some, I mean pretty much all around Valentine's Day. So uh, we're going to start the show off in top of the show, which we'll start in a minute. But we're going to talk about some things that we love from our recent, you know, from the last couple weeks. Uh, and then we're going to do a new segment. And it's going to be a strange, dark, and mysterious segment inspired by a, a favorite podcaster of mine, Mr. Borland. We're going to be doing a segment called Who Done Did It? The Murders and That. A segment where I am going to tell a story, a True crime story. Now, this story did happen. There is, you know, evidence of it. There has been a conviction made in this case. Um, And it all centers around something that happened not on Valentine's Day, but the night before Valentine's Day. So, I'm going to be telling the story. I've done all the research. Cooper has not heard this story. He has no idea what's coming up. There will be a content warning at the start of the story that I'll go through, um, but there are some themes of suicide and domestic violence, so just keep that in mind as you progress further into the episode. But before we even get there, before we get to talking about crimes and the people who commit them, we're going to talk about some things that we love because it's Valentine's Day. So welcome, everybody, to Top of the Show to you. Of the shorts here. So, Cooper, would you like to start or shall I? I think you. I think I as well. So, the thing I'm going to talk about that I love is something that we went and saw as a family recently. And by recently, I mean a week ago, and I posted about it on our social media. Hamilton. We went and saw Hamilton uh, at the QPAC Theatre in Brisbane. And it was amazing. I mean, I've been a fan of Hamilton for a lot, a lot of years. I've listened to the soundtrack more times than I can count. I have watched the Lin-Manuel Miranda live tape of it that they've put up on Disney+. Plus. I've watched that at least five times, just off the rough count I'm doing in my head now. So I was really excited But I was also a little anxious because I'm like, oh, is this, you know, is this cast going to be able to live up to my expectations? As we've kind of gone over in previous episodes, I'm a real critic. It's not necessarily 
something I always liked, but it's just, you know, the way that my brain works now after working in entertainment for so many years. But I've got to say, I loved this show. I thought it was absolutely incredible. It was amazingly cast. You know, there was so much great choreography, so much great vocals. Um, the vocals were amazing. Um, we went to a Saturday matinee, so I think there was a mix of, of the main cast and some of the understudies and stand-ins. But it was such a good show that honestly, I couldn't tell you if there was um, stand-ins or the main cast. And honestly, I didn't want to look because honestly, to me, they were my cast. And so I, I really loved it. Cooper, you were there as well. What were your thoughts? Oh, well, pre-going into it, I didn't really know much about Hamilton because that's not really a lot of these musicals I'm only just getting into. I'd only watched probably like the first half an hour of the Disney uh, special with Lynn. And uh, so I was going into it almost blind. And I've got to say, it was quite good. You know, it was way exceeded my expectations, I feel like. And we love to have our expectations exceeded. So I... I really loved it. I love Hamilton in general. So I want to give a massive congratulations to the Brisbane cast. You guys do an amazing job. I know a lot of people have, you know, stayed on from the Sydney shows and, and are going all over Australia and are about to do New Zealand. I wish you all that are continuing on. I wish you all the best of luck for the rest of the run on that show. For those of you who are just staying in Brisbane, you know, some of the ensemble, some of the understudies, you know, amazing work. Love, love, love your work. Now, Cooper, you have something different to talk about that you love. Yes. So at the time of recording this episode, uh, the Fast and Furious 10 trailer has just come out, which is rather exciting for me. As we addressed last week, Cooper, a massive Fast and Furious fan. Yes. And actually very ironic is that Last week, we were talking about Jason Statham's new movie, and he's also appeared in this one too. He has. He's, uh, you know, featuring a lot in this podcast at the moment. If only we could get him on as a guest. Jason. Again, Jason, please. We'd love to have you as a de guest. Mm. <laughs> I can't speak today, apparently. So, Cooper, tell, tell the audience from the trailer, you know, whether they have or haven't seen it, what's, what do you think the story is of this new film? Well, from what I can tell, uh, Jason Momoa, the baddie, has, was in Fast and Furious 5, but kind of not really. I, my guess is he was working for Reyes, who was the bad guy in Fast 5. So basically what we're saying is, is that at the time Jason Momoa wasn't in the film, but subsequently his character has been added into that plot line to yeah. motivate his um, feud with Dom for this new film. Well, they played off that he's um, 
Because in the end, when they steal the vault and uh, they're on the bridge, there's the two cars, one with Reyes and the other bad guy in it. Then there's one. They play off that he's in the other one because it falls into the water and then you see him in the water. Yeah, right. And so that's kind of the whole storyline, which I knew it was going to involve something with Fast Five because we actually saw those bank vault towing cars on set. Right. So kind of knew something was going down there. But, um, yeah, that's that bit of it. And he obviously wants revenge. So, you know, and now Deckard's working with the team again. And yes, Deckard Shore is back. And we have a new addition to the family. Yes, that's Brie Larson's character, yes. Is it is Brie Larson's character Tess or Jess? I have absolutely no idea. You'd know better than I would. I think it's one of the two. Yep. And then uh, Alan Richson mm-hmm. from uh, Jack Reacher. From Reacher, from uh, Smallville, from a number of things. Oh, from Ninja Turtles over the years. Yeah. We only saw him for a little bit in the trailer, but, you know. And from what I can tell, the storyline is Dom's son actually gets taken by Jason Momoa. Mm -hmm. And kind of goes from there. You know, there's some quite insane stunts that we see happen. Yeah. Like the car jumping off a bridge and then taking down the two helicopters. Yep. There's, um, what else? Jason Momoa standing up at the hill when the big and explosion. And there's a big explosion in the middle of the city of Rome. Yeah. It w- from what I can tell, you know, when we were talking about Fast and Furious 9 last week, one of the big things Bailey said was kind of stupid you know the whole space thing and whatever and i get what he means but from what i can tell it's more down to earth now still with stupid stunts but i was about to say it's down to earth just like those helicopters were when they tried to spear dom's car and he jumped off a bridge and smashed them together it's a lot more realistic than it was sure and you know i just told bailey this I do have one theory, which I'm not sure about. I have a theory that Jacob, Dom's brother, who was introduced in F9, is dead. Played by John Cena. Yes, dies in this film. Now, the reason why I think that is because at one point, I don't know whether you picked this up, and I only picked this up like an hour ago, was Dom kind of looks a little bit emotional. And then you cut to him holding the necklace and almost the tint kind of makes it look like it's got blood on it. Right. Or it's just red, something like that. And also, you know, they said in the trailer that most likely one of us is not going to make it out Mm. and they're more likely to kill off someone who's not in the main, main plot. You know what I mean? Like, He's not in the main family. He's kind of main family, but not main family, if you know what I mean. I mean, it could be that. It could also be them, because of the connection to Fast Five, it could finally be them killing Brian in World. 
But then Brian doesn't have that necklace, so. But if Brian was, once again, if they were out on some kind of mission and Brian was looking after the kids and uh, little Brian has the necklace. Yeah. Then maybe little Brian, like Dom finds little Brian clutching the necklace and it's got old OG Brian's blood on it. Maybe that could happen. There's a lot of... That would make the most sense to me. But then also one thing I noticed was, you know, the house scene that it starts the trailer off with, with who we think's Dom's mum. Yes, Rita Moreno. Yeah. Little Brian's there. But guess who's not there? Who? John Cena. Yeah, but if that scene's at the beginning... He can't already be dead because we see him later in the in the trailer. Yeah, it's, you know, it could be possible, might not be, you know. We also see him in what we assume to be Dom's house, killing, like, bad guys. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know what's going to happen. I think there probably someone will die in this film. It's also pretty bold to kill John Cena because they've literally only just introduced his character and had him start a path of redemption only to kill him to kind of motivate Dom. Yeah, maybe. It just... It kind of just sparked my interest because we also don't see that much of him in the trailer. Like, he's only really in, what, two scenes? Yeah, but that could also be that he's basically doing like a Deckard Shaw thing in Fast and Furious 8 because he very much feels like he's on a Deckard Shaw arc of Deckard was in 7, was the bad guy, was kind of semi-redeemed by the end, came back in 8 as a kind of aid to Dom. Because even John Cena says in this trailer, he's like, what's the play, Dom? Or he says, like, "What what's the plan or something like that? Yeah. Well, I also... Um fascinated to see what they do with Deckard you know I think it's just going to be really fascinating yeah I mean I'm excited for Jason Momoa as the bad guy I think he looks great there was another thing I was excited about what was it Alan or Bree I mean I'm excited for Alan and I'm excited for Bree what was it no it was something that was in that trailer that I was like oh that's cool oh the John Cena in the house thing that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Because I love a good house clearing scene. Okay. So we've talked about some things that we love. Now we're going to talk about love in a different way. Love that turns dark. Love that turns evil. Now, Cooper, you haven't heard this story. You are completely unfamiliar with it. Cooper's nodding, but he's also downing a coffee right now, a, a quadruple shot to keep him awake it's because Declan's mad. Ice. Declan's mad that he keeps falling asleep in the middle of these shows. So yeah, and you know I was slumbering my words there, so I just need something to. You were wake slumbering me. your words. See, I can't even speak now, so I need this shot, my quad with ice, to wake me up. My goodness. All right. So while Cooper downs the rest of his coffee. Let me give a little content warning to our listeners. So this story features references to suicide and domestic violence. 
Listener discretion is advised and resources for suicide prevention and domestic violence aid will be provided in the description of the show. Now, I've tried to, I've, this story is, the way I've constructed it is based off testimonials provided by people in the trial that precedes this event. I have, you know, gone to multiple different kinds of sources. I've read the transcripts of some of the court proceedings. I've done my due diligence. That being said, there is still some variance in the way that this story, that aspects of this story is told. So I don't know if I've 100% got everything exactly as it happened, but this is my retelling based off the information that I have sourced for this story. So just keep that in mind. And, you know, I've taken a lot of inf inspiration for the way I've laid this, set, this story out to the way that Mr. Ballen does his stories. He's a YouTuber and podcaster who I listen to a lot. And Cooper, I've forced to start listening to him when we were starting this podcast. Um, John, we love you. We are uh, doing this one to see if we can... I mean, it'll either be proof that, you know, we can do it or it'll be proof that you're the only one who can do this as well as you do it. Yeah, are there any other scary story podcast people? Tons. Really? But John's the main one that I listen to. Fascinating. I do listen to some like Wondery, do a lot of like good little mini series. I listened to an interesting one the other other week called Talking Heads, which is all about cryogenetic preservation. But um, he's the one I listen to week to week. So, Cooper, you ready for this story? Let's do this. All right. High energy for what will be a low energy opening to this segment, but let's do it. Located just north of Somerset, nearby to the metro hub of Bristol in England, Barrow is a small village by the coast where people go to get away from the trials and tribulations of modern life. It used to be a place where you could go to escape from tragedy, but for the people of Barrow, that all changed in February 2021. While winter was almost gone and spring was nearly upon the country, on the night of the 13th of February, the weather was chilly and the mood of the British populace was even chillier. The COVID-19 pandemic, after nearly a full year, was still at its heights. And in February, most of Britain was under strict lockdown rules to prevent the spread of the virus. As such, on February 13th, Isabel Potterton had needed to find a way to remotely celebrate her mother's birthday. Isabel and her mother, Penelope Jackson, had always been close, sharing much of their daily struggles with each other. But despite this, Penelope had always protected her daughter from the nastiness with David. David Jackson was Penelope's fourth husband and Isabella's stepfather, who had raised her since her earliest years after Isabella's father had committed suicide in the 1990s. Isabel viewed David as her father for his steadfast belief in her and his constant support and care for her. In her earlier years, Isabella had seen a few instances of abuse between her parents as they travelled around the world, 
to different military bases to accommodate David's work as a lieutenant colonel in the British Army. Penelope, who had originally been an administrator for the Royal Air Force, had transitioned to the Army, which is how she had met David. They had struck up a passionate relationship and had gotten together soon after. In 2021, after more than a quarter century together, Penelope and David seemed to be enjoying their twilight years quietly in Barrow. For Penelope's 67th birthday on February 13th, Isabel had organised for a fancy Zoom dinner where she and her mother had cooked a fancy meal for each of their households and they were going to share the meal with each other over a Zoom call. David and Penelope were at their home in Barrow and Isabel and her husband Tom at theirs. When David and Penelope answered the call, Isabel immediately noticed that her mother seemed very subdued from her usual high-energy demeanour and it looked as though she had been crying. When pressed on the matter, David and Penelope said that they had been struggling with the iPad that Zoom was running on, and it had caused an argument between them. But as they began their dinner with the seafood starter, the tense beginning of the evening seemed to evaporate, and they all chatted easily, at least as best as they could through a Zoom, through a Zoom call. After they had finished the starter course, it was time for mains, and Penelope and Isabel had both cooked up a lovely steak, with sides of their choice. Penelope had elected for her sides to have bubble and squeak. Bubble and squeak is a popular dish in England, comprising of potato and cabbage, plus any extras you may wish to add, with the ingredients pan-fried to create a crispy exterior. Due to its common components and adaptability for leftover integration, it's often perceived as quite a low-class meal option. David seemed to believe as much. He scolded his wife for cooking such a dish for the fancy dinner they were putting on that evening. This comment sparked another full-on argument between the two. And not long after it started, Penelope cut the video feed to shield her daughter from seeing her and David argue. Isabel thought that it was just another silly argument between her parents. That was until shortly after the end of the call when she received a text from her mother. If all goes badly, then you have this message. I love you to the ends of the earth. Isabel did after this speak to her mother, who confirmed that she was all right. But hours later, Isabel would be informed that Penelope Jackson, her mother, was in police custody, accused of first-degree murder. The murder of her fourth husband, David Jackson. That was not what I saw coming. Did you think it was her that the mother was dead? I thought it that it was the husband that killed her. But that killed the mother. But it's the opposite. It is the opposite. Is that why she sent that weird text message if all goes badly? Yes, and I I will state here that I did rephrase that text message it was a little bit more explicit than that and you can find the transcripts for the text message that Isabel received did it kind of say that she murdered the husband no it's literally the content of the message is exactly the same as what I read it's just she didn't say badly she said something else okay and it wasn't go to shit it was something a little more explicit than that so Yes. It's it's already an interesting story, isn't it? That's very insane. So we now have 
Penelope in police custody accused of first degree murder. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take us back. Okay, just I have a few questions. Okay, let's hear them. So one, this was quite recently, correct? This was in 2021. So like... Two years ago. Pretty much two years ago. And so basically... As this podcast is going out, it's almost exactly the two-year anniversary. Wow. Mm. That's insane. Yep. So so do we know kind of what happened there or does that come later? Well, that's what I'm about to go into. Oh. I will just say, I'm going to... Cooper, I want you to to kind of come in at a few of these because this story has got some twists and turns in it. And there's some twists that I've put in there because there's some information that you learn over the course of this story that fundamentally changes how you perceive it. And I think it's very interesting. So, travelling back to the end of the Zoom call. After Penelope hung up with Isabel, the argument had continued, but not just continued, it had escalated. It wasn't to the point of physical violence, but Penelope did fear that it might be approaching that point. Penelope took a knife from her kitchen and took it with her into the bedroom as a defensive weapon. Not only this, when she was in the bedroom with the knife, she considered using it to take her own life to escape from her marriage to David. In the late 1990s, the Jackson family, comprised of David, Penelope and Isabel, was living in Germany, where David was serving at a military base. It was at this time that David's son Gavin had unexpectedly committed suicide, leaving behind a pregnant wife. In the note left behind, he confessed that he had been conducting an extramarital affair and had repeatedly cheated on his pregnant wife. In this note, he declared that he didn't want to be like his father David, who was considered a serial cheater, having cheated on both of his wives prior to his relationship with Penelope. He had cheated on his first wife with Sheila Taylor, who became his second wife, and he cheated on Sheila Taylor with Penelope, who would become his third wife. David was completely shell-shocked by the loss of his son and not just that, but being directly referenced as one of the reasons contributing to his son's suicide. David was extremely emotionally vulnerable at this time period. And this is when Isabel's memories of instances of abuse between her parents come back into play. Isabel recalls one night David got her out of bed in the middle of the night and asked her to collect a mug that Isabel had bought for Penelope for Mother's Day. When Isabel had collected and handed the gift over to her stepfather, David had suddenly in a fit of rage, smashed the mug on the ground, cursing Penelope loudly. 
another instance around the same time was that when Isabel came home from school one afternoon, she found her father holding her mother against a wall with her mother's nose bleeding profusely. As soon as Isabel walked in the room, Penelope was able to use it as an opportunity to get them both out of there and they stayed in a local hotel for the evening. The morning after, they went back to the house and Penelope and David reconciled. The third incident occurred when David's family, including his mother, his children from his first marriage, and their children, so his grandchildren, they all came to visit the family in Germany. Penelope made a comment as they were having a barbecue in the garden. Now, this comment is not available on record. It hasn't been declared what this comment was. Whatever it was, it sent David into such a downward spiral that he pushed Penelope against a glass door and held a knife to her throat in front of four generations of their family. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is, first off, doesn't seem like a very good marriage. Well, no. And, you know, there's, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting time because this is not long after Penelope and David are married. This is in the late 90s. They'd only recently gotten together and gotten married. Wow. It really makes you think, like, what happened before Isabel got there after school? What, like, what did Penelope say to Mm. David? Makes you wonder all these things. It does. That haven't been released. So, at some point, after these three instances that Pene- that Isabel recalls and said on the witness stand. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. Before you do that, I have a question. Yeah. Was this all within like a, not a long time frame, all these three incidents? This was during a period of a few months. Now, Isabel can't recall exactly the order in which these three events happens. She remembers them as being three distinct events that happened during this period of time they were in Germany. Um, over the the span of a few months following Gavin's death. So, following this, David underwent extensive counselling for his depression and emotional stability issues, and Penelope made the decision that despite these issues that she had with David, she decided to stay. But now... Cutting back to 2021 as she's sitting in her bedroom, clutching this knife, worried that she might either have to use it as a defensive tool or as a final resort way out. Penelope was feeling like she'd made the wrong choice. Over the years, they had had a lot of happy memories shared together. They travelled around a lot, both to support David's career and also for leisure time. And in recent years... They had been enjoying their retirement. But with the COVID lockdown, the arguments and rows that would infrequently get in that they would get into became more and more frequent. Penelope felt the weight of the abuse and felt as though David was emotionally manipulating her into staying in their relationship due to the length of the time they had been together. 
This stuck with her as she contemplated ending her own life, just as her third husband and her stepson Gavin had done to escape the struggles of this life. It was at that moment that her train of thought was interrupted by David entering the room. He noticed that Penelope seemed to be clutching something under her pillow and asked what it was. When she showed him the knife and told him how she planned to use it to end her own life, she hoped that he would say something to reassure her, to make her feel better in that moment of doubt. His response was, well, get on with it then. Okay, I didn't see that coming. Penelope was understandably shocked and hurt by these words from her husband, and so she fled from the master bedroom into a spare bedroom with her knife still in her hand. David, meanwhile, followed her from one room to the next, continuing to taunt and argue with her. It was at this point, as the argument reached its height, that Penelope pulled her arm back and slashed across David's chest with the knife, creating a deep laceration across his bare chest. He wasn't wearing any pajamas. He just had a pair of boxer shorts on. Now, David recoiled, and Penelope, overcome by the suddenness of the action, fled the room to write a note, unsure of what would happen in the coming minutes and hours after this attack she had made on her husband. The note reads, and this is verbatim what the note reads. To whom it may concern, I have taken so much abuse over the years. Look at my records in Germany. But he was a good daddy. However, the mask slipped tonight. That is slash was unforgivable. I accept my punishment. May he rot in hell. Self-defense. Now, while Penelope wrote this note, David was still alive. He'd only received a relatively superficial but deep cut to his chest. He'd made his way from the spare room through the lounge room and into the kitchen where he picked up the landline phone and rang emergency services. While he made this trek from room to room, he was bleeding profusely all over the floor and all over himself. And despite this, he continued to taunt Penelope. Now, we don't know what he said to her in the period of time between rooms. We know that when he got on the landline and was talking to emergency services, he was making comments to her still. One of which was, and I am paraphrasing this, the first one was a fluke. You won't do it again. You're pathetic. At which point, the operator heard David cry out again as he was stabbed two more times by his wife, Penelope, and he subsequently fell to the ground, overwhelmingly injured. Penelope picked up the phone and began to talk to the operator. She was on the phone with the operator for 18 minutes waiting for the police to arrive at the scene. When they did arrive, they got Penelope outside and she willingly submitted to going to the station with them. So, I don't really have any questions, but wow. So, what's David's condition at this stage? 
as she is pulled out of the house and taken into custody by the police, he is still alive. He is not in a good way. He's lost a lot of blood. But at the moment that they arrive and she's been on the phone with the police, she's been on the phone with the operator, he has been alive through it all. Okay. And those two more stabs, do we know where they were? Not really. They were central body mass. They were they were in his torso area. Um, I was not able to find specifically where he was stabbed, but I can only assume that it was in the heart region. I, m- I vaguely recall someone mentioning him being stabbed in the heart, but I don't know if that was conjecture or if that was a confirmed account of the, n- the injuries that he sustained. Okay. So... To go back even further and to look at Penelope Jackson, who has just, at the very least, committed an act of attempted murder, which we know will be upgraded to first-degree murder because David doesn't survive this night. I already telegraphed that at the beginning. Penelope Jackson's checkered history with husbands is well-documented. Her first husband, she married when she was only 18 in 1973. Now, she shares two daughters with this first husband who was, throughout the duration of their time together, physically abusive towards her. So she, not long into their marriage, divorced him and took her two daughters and fled from that home. Shortly after, she found another husband, a fellow colleague at the Royal Air Force. But the two did not last together long um, because he came out of the closet not long after marrying her, um, came out of the closet as gay. So they divorced on reasonable terms. But at this point, she was kind of looking at her marriage prospects going, well, I've had one husband abuse me and the one good husband I had doesn't, re- doesn't have any interest in being with me. So she didn't think that she would find love again, but she did. She met a man named Alan Warrender in the 1980s, another colleague at the Royal Air Force, and the two immediately found themselves passionately drawn to one another despite the fact that Alan was married at the time. They engaged in a secret affair, not for weeks or months, but over a period of years. During this time, Alan's wife received a cancer diagnosis that would eventually prove fatal, and she passed away in the late 1980s, knowing that her husband had been unfaithful to her for years. She died knowing that. Now, almost immediately after this, Alan disinherited his own children and moved in with Penelope, at which point she became pregnant with a baby, baby Isabel, if you'll recall. Alan had to move to Saudi Arabia for work as he was struggling to make money in the United Kingdom. During his absences, during his absences, absences was when Penelope had met David and when they had begun their passionate love affair, 
while she was still married to Alan, and while David was still married to his second wife, Sheila Taylor. When Alan returned to the UK full-time in 1993, he discovered the affair, and shortly after this, he committed suicide. His family believed that Penelope was responsible, not for some act of murder, but for directly causing him to take his own life, and claimed that her behaviour at the funeral and during the wake of his death lacked any sense of empathy or care towards her recently deceased husband. Almost immediately after her husband's death, she moved in with David and began to raise Isabel together with him, and subsequently they got married. At one point, many years after all of these events, David's eldest daughter from his first marriage would recall Penelope giving her some advice for her failing marriage. So David's eldest daughter was in a failing marriage. She went to her father and her mother-in-law for advice, not mother-in-law, stepmother. Penelope's response was this. It's always easier if your husband kills himself. (gasps) After Penelope had stabbed David three times and picked up the phone, she had this conversation with the operator. And I have a bit of an audio clip here. With him now? Well, I might just go and stab him again. All right, do not stab him again. Why? Okay, so just listen to my voice. Okay, stay on the line with me. I am complimenting. Okay, are you with the patient now? Well, I'm in the lounge with the kitchen bleeding to death with any luck. All right, so just stay on the line with me. Look, this is not, you're not paid enough to do with this. It's not fair. Okay, well, ultimately, madam, I'm listening to your voice, and you're the help I have available, so we need to help him, okay? No, I'm not. All right, madam, how many times have you stabbed him? Um, I did the once. You did the once? And then he said I wouldn't do it again, so I... So, okay. So, in total, how many times? Uh, three times. Three times, okay. Uh, once I thought I'd get his heart, well, he hasn't got one, and then twice in the abdomen. So, that was the phone call that, that's an excerpt of the phone call that she made to police. Wow, that's extremely concerning. Yes. So, that was part of the phone call that she made to police. So, not only do we have this, I love modern cases, and this is why. Not only do we have that audio, we also have body cam footage from the police that has been released as part of the, uh, in the, in the aftermath of the trial. We have the body cam footage from the police. Now, let me Are we allowed to show that? Well, we won't be showing it, but we will, we're allowed to play it, I think. If not, I'll delete this later. Play what? The audio of the body cam footage. Because that's mainly what I want to show. Have you listened to it? I have. I've watched most of the body cam footage from this event. Is so it okay? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So You don't see anything. Because this is 
in because this is on the internet we're okay to sh- should be so it's it almost was like the whole alec boardman thing yes so this is about 18 minutes after the call was initiated police arrived and penelope willingly allows them to enter her house and submits to her arrest and this is what she said to police So that's one part of the body cam footage. There's quite a bit of it. We're not going to go over all of it. But the the short part of it is, is that that is what Penelope's interactions with the police were like. She was open in admitting that she had committed the acts. She was also open in the fact that she wanted her husband to die. And that they shouldn't, like, get the ambulance. Try and resuscitate him in any way. And... Penelope's wishes came true. Despite attempts to save David's life by on-site emergency responders, he passed away before he could arrive at the hospital. When Penelope was told this shortly after arriving at the police station, she was relieved that she succeeded in knocking him off and told police as much when they told her that her charges were being upgraded from attempted murder to first-degree murder. Wow. Now, David's second wife, Sheila, would later testify that in conversations with her ex-husband before his death, he had, on numerous occasions, spoken of his fear of his wife, her aggressive nature and frequent violent threats made against his person. One such threat that she remembered David clearly recounting was a threat that was a threat made by Penelope that if he were to ever leave her, she would cut his genitals off with a kitchen knife. Wow, that's dark. Yeah. This is definitely going to have a, um, probably an don't watch if underage warning at this point. Well, that's why we put the content warning at the beginning. I wasn't expecting it to be this dark. Well, welcome to the dark. Welcome to, what do we call this segment again? Who done did it? The murders and that. I think the way you're 
the accent that you're doing doesn't fit what we're talking about. Done did it. The murders and that. That's probably a lot better. So continue. David also told Sheila that he believed that Pen- Penelope was capable of following through with that threat of violence against his person. Family and friends would describe the relationship between David and Penny as often a happy one, but punctuated by Penelope's often threatening and controlling behavior towards her husband. She made David uncomfortable, namely because she would uncover people's insecurities and exploit them to belittle and mock people, including, but not limited to, her family, David's family, and their mutual friends. In opposition to this, Penelope would claim that behind closed doors, David had spent the better part of their marriage being emotionally coercive and verbally and at times physically abusive, and that he had on multiple occasions been violent towards her, including, but not limited to, the instances that occurred in Germany. This was corroborated, these, these claims by Penelope of abuse, they were corroborated by David's younger brother, Alan, who said that he stood by Penelope and that his brother was an arrogant bully. Penelope's daughter, Isabel, meanwhile, caught between the death of her father and the murder charge facing her mother, had recalled these instances in Germany to the highest degree of accuracy she could, but said that this was the only evidence she had ever witnessed that her father was abusive towards her mother and that it her, that in her eyes, he was not the monster that Penelope was characterizing him as. In October of 2021, nearly nine months after David's death, a jury found Penelope guilty of the murder of her husband, David Jackson, not the manslaughter charge that Penelope had pleaded for. The judge at sentencing expressed that David, at the time of the attack, did not present a threat to Penelope to justify the action that she had taken as quote-unquote self-defense. He also cited that Penelope's calm demeanor in the aftermath of the attack, including taking the time to write a confession note between the first and second stage of the attack. A quick note here that the judge actually believes that Penelope wrote the note that is her confession that she wrote it before she committed any kind of physical assault against David. All of this combined represented to the judge a degree of premeditation beyond the self-defense she claimed to be engaging in. Tom Potterton, Isabel's husband, said that he could never forgive Penelope for what she had put her daughter through that the emotional weight that she had been forced to carry because of the actions of Penelope were, in his eyes, unforgivable. Now, throughout the entire trial, Penelope never showed any remorse for her actions. She never openly wept, except for once. And it was following her conviction at her sentencing when her daughter made a victim impact statement, which is basically where a victim of a crime makes a statement at sentencing to the person who has been convicted of the crime. Isabel said, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, that she had lost her father and mother in one fell swoop 
and that while Penelope is alive, she's not the same person that Isabel has known for her entire life. Now, this is a bit more of a, of a direct quote. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that the relationship I once cherished can never be built back to what it was. Now, Penelope's sentence ultimately was a minimum of 18 years in prison. And it is likely that she will remain in prison for the remainder of her life unless she receives parole. Isabel and Tom have remained out of the public eye since um, Penelope's sentencing. But at the time, Isabel announced that she was pregnant with her first child. And we hope here at Speak Away Brav that Isabel and Tom have found a degree of peace that they are, you know, living life as a happy family in spite of the tragedy that they've faced. And we want to express to our listeners that if you are in a domestic violence situation or are feeling suicidal, regardless of your gender, of your age, of your position in life, of where you live, please seek out assistance. For our Australian viewers, we have provided resources in the description below. And for our international viewers, please seek help and you will be able to find resources available in your area. And just like that, that is the end of the story. Wow, that that was a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. And, you know, ultimately, you know, Penelope is the the bad guy because she is the one who's alive and she is the one who committed the act. But the interesting thing I find about this story is it brings up a lot of questions about who is, you know, morally prior to that moment of Penelope committing that action, who was in the wrong? Because there is is evidence to support David being abusive. There's also a lot of evidence to suggest that Penelope was abusive and that Penelope, you know, was kind of always just on the brink of doing something like this. Well, from what I can tell in this instance, he almost started it because the fight really broke out when he was kind of having a go at her about the dinner. About the bubble and squeak. So you could say he kind of initiated the fight, but then after the Zoom call ended up, he once again initiated the fight. But no one forced her to commit the act of murder. Correct. And, you know, someone who's committed an act of self-defense one wouldn't think would be so calm in the face of police. Yeah, you'd think... Hopeful maybe that their abuser doesn't survive the attempt, but she is so calm. And as you can hear through that footage, she's constantly asking for her coat. She's fixated on it. Mm. What do you think that's supposed to mean? Well, I could go into a lot of the criminal psychology of it, but I'm not a criminal psychologist, so I won't. Um, I kind of want to leave it there just with, you know, we, we wish for the best for, um, 
Isabel and Tom Politon. What about the rest? Politon. What about the rest of the children? There's not a lot online about it. Really? No. Wow. Well, lovely listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed this somewhat macabre celebration of Valentine's Day. We have... uh, Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird one. It's a bit of a weird one, but I mean, it all took place the night before Valentine's Day between a husband and a wife. It is a Frankenstein Valentine's Day episode. Frankenstein? (laughs) I don't know. I just made it up on the spot. Well, guess what else you're going to have to make up on the spot? It's your turn to do a voice. No, it's your turn. No, I did it last week. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Fine. I did Winston from John Wick. Even though I do the better Winston, but anyway. If you say so. What accent then? Cooper, I'd like you to do something very paradoxical. We heard a few episodes ago your interpretation of Festa. I'd like to hear your interpretation of another Adams Family character, one who usually greets people, but this time I'd like you to say goodbye to our viewers as... Is it Thing? Lurch. Thing doesn't talk. He talks with his fingers. I don't know whether you wanted me to tap on the table or not. Please don't. It's really awful for the... Stop it! (laughs) It's awful for the audio. Yeah, Lurch. That's my favourite. Lurch. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, dear listeners. And uh, Lurch will take you out. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Now... Please listen into the ne- any other episodes that you haven't listened to if you're a new listener. <laughs> and if you're not a l- listener, I don't really know what to say to you. Uh, stay tuned for the next one. So, you know, all stuff will be in the description. And uh, you ring. Lurch, I found your dentures. You lost them. That's why you sound so... You rang. Until next time, my pigtail protégés. You're still here? It's over. Oh. The shout-out segment. Thanks for the reminder. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. We would really appreciate it if you follow the podcast as we grow. We are going to try to post a new episode every week as we're getting started. If you want to follow our socials, you can find us on Instagram at Podcast. If you want to get into contact, If you want to get in contact with us, you can either DM us on Instagram or email us at speedawaybrogpodcast at hotmail.com. We want to hear you. Speed away, bruvs. Talk at you soon, listeners.